0: Um, Does that make sense? Usually we have... Yeah, that makes sense. So you'll probably... There's a... um... So here we go, continuing this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And as we go through that, and we've made mention of this in weeks past, that the fruit of the Spirit is something that we pull from these few verses in Galatians 5 that talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And we've been working through those things one by one, going through what those all of those various angles of the fruit of the Spirit look like. And today, we are up to goodness. And what it looks like for us to be people then who embrace and bear that spiritual fruit of goodness and what that means and how that looks in our lives and all that's before us. You know, there are, there are often some prominent examples of um, people that we hold the high standards of goodness that in various ways maybe fail to meet that. One such example may be within the, the global church of the last decade, the, the number of abuse scandals that have come to light. And part of what makes that so disheartening, right? Part of what makes that so disheartening for us as people of God is that there are certain people that we hold to a rather high standard of goodness, right? That that we have that standard there and then when people fail to meet that standard for whatever reason, we can find that either shocking or disheartening or sad. So we need to take a look again at what the Bible means by goodness and how we are to be people of goodness and what that looks like in our lives. I can think of no better passage to go to in the New Testament than Titus because the letter of Titus in the New Testament is all about goodness. It's the theme of the entire letter. There are only three chapters in it. I'm not going to read all three chapters here today, but it's one of those short letters that comes towards the end of the New Testament. The background is this, that the Apostle Paul writes this letter, and he writes it to an individual, a man named Titus. Titus is on the island of Crete in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Titus is is a young pastor who's in training, and Paul gives Titus the task of raising up elders in the the house churches that are there on the island of Crete. So that's what the letter of Titus is about, and it's all about goodness. Goodness because for whatever reason, in the time and in the day of Paul, the island of Crete did not have a good reputation. They were known to be people who were probably the exact opposite of good people. So Paul writes to Titus to encourage goodness. Here's what we'll get a snapshot of that then, okay? So, I'm going to read just a few verses that come from chapter 2, the first 14 verses. Here's what Paul writes to Titus about goodness. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate. Worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity "'seriousness and soundness of speech "'that cannot be condemned, "'so that those who oppose you may be ashamed "'because they have nothing bad to say about us. "'Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, "'to try to please them, "'not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, "'but to show that they can be fully trusted,' so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Goodness. right? How how does Paul in this letter talk about goodness? We we need to break a few things down here, right? So I, I've mentioned that, yep, this is the letter to Titus and Paul is talking about goodness, but it's a short letter. You know, in in other New Testament letters, Paul goes on and on and on about, well, I mean, he just talks theologically and theoretically and makes propositional arguments and sort of lays out for us the gospel message and how that's different from the Old Testament law. On and on it goes in some of those other letters of Paul. But Titus is not that way because Titus is a short letter and it seems like, it seems like here Paul is just kind of getting right to the point. Titus, here's what I want you to do. Boom, boom, boom and lays down this list. None of the theory behind it but just the application He jumps straight to the application. All right, Titus, here you go. Do this, do this, do this, do this. So we need to take a look at some of that and figure out how this application of goodness works out, especially here in chapter 2. So uh, if you were following along as I read it, there's a bit of a structure in how Paul is explaining goodness, particularly in these few verses of chapter 2, right? He talks about generational structure, Old men, old women, young men, young women, and how those relationships take place. Talks about that family structure of what it means to be married and to work within that family structure because, in that time and in that day, everything revolved around a family structure. Talks about economic structure, how slaves are supposed to behave, and then how they work for their masters in different ways. And in those final verses of the section we read, a divine structure, how God himself, through Jesus, provides a goodness. So you see sort of the progression there, but all these things are just jumping straight to the application. Here's what it looks like, here's what it looks like, here's what it looks like, in goodness of that. Now, I want us to take a pause with that because by jumping straight to the application, I think this is a good moment to sort of give ourselves a little bit of a refresher on some basics of Bible study. right? What it means to read and interpret Scripture in this way. This passage in particular, I think, is an obvious example for that for some reasons, right? It it talks about, for example, slavery. And we would say, well... We don't live in a time of slavery, or at least we, we try to abolish slavery wherever we see examples of that existing yet. So how do we take that from Scripture into our day? Because you know what, right? You go back a couple of hundred years, and there would have been people within the church who would have said, look, it says slavery in the Bible and in instructions, therefore it's God's will that slavery exists, but we don't say that anymore. that, That we understand that, you know what? The time of the Bible had its own historical context, its own culture, that Paul was writing to a particular people in a particular time who lived in a particular way that maybe doesn't match how we live today. And that follows with the other examples there too, right? Our generations do not relate the same way today that they would have back then when you think about older generations and younger generations, when you think about boomers and millennials, you can't exactly stamp the boomers and the millennials into this discussion that Paul is making about the older and the younger because that was a different time. It was was a different culture. There were different expectations around that. Same thing with the family structures. right? That Paul lived in a time when Patriarchy was still the dominant feature of family structure. We don't live in that time anymore. Patriarchy is not what defines our family structures anymore. So we've got a little work to do here. Paul jumps straight to an application piece, but we need to recognize a few things. We don't live in that world. We don't live in a world where our economic system is dependent upon slavery. We don't live in a world where our family systems are dependent upon patriarchy. We live in a different world. So we've got a little bit of work to do. And I think one of those first things we need to do then is to recognize, you know what, we can't take the world of the Bible as it existed in that time and just bring that 2,000 years forward as though somehow... That's God's will for all time and all places, to have that historical context. We need to do the work to find the timeless principle of God's truth behind those applications and pull that forward. So when we look at those examples that we see here in Titus, examples of family structure examples of economic structure we need to be digging and ask the question you know what what is the timeless truth of god's worth of god's word buried in these examples pull that out and bring that forward and say and how does that fit in our world in our time in our culture and how we deal with that right so we're looking for those examples of goodness that come from a different world A different time, a different culture, and what that says about goodness, how that goodness comes forward to us and then makes sense in our world, our time, our culture, what we do. That's what we're looking for in this. That's how we're taking this forward, okay? So, looking for what goodness looks like. We need to pull that out of this passage and understand a few things how goodness comes forward as a spiritual fruit. Goodness. So it's identified in this passage in three different places, if you were looking at that. And in fact, it comes by the phrase, what is good? You've got that passage written in your bulletin if you need to go back and look at that again. But the phrase, what is good, it shows up in three different places here. You saw it at the end of verse 3, the middle of verse 7, and the end of verse 14. Right, That Paul is saying, teach what is good. Do what is good. Be eager to do what is good. What is good? So so Paul is after goodness in this. And he's pulling that forward through these examples. Goodness. It comes from the Greek word kalos, or the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word tov. And it means good, right, beautiful, useful. But uh, I want us to get a little bit further into it than that and really understanding what we mean by goodness, good, and what is good. One of the Greek dictionaries that I use written by Bauer has this to say about that Greek term of goodness, that that it refers to something that meets high standards of expectations or quality. Something that meets high standards of expectations or quality. This is getting us closer then when we think about goodness and what goodness looks like. Let's think about our own world, right? Let's think about some examples. When you think of your own life and you think, what's good in my life? What kind of things come to mind? Let let me just throw a few out there that, that come to my mind. Every weekend in my house, there's a pizza night, homemade pizza, and we do it all from scratch. And, and the, the Chicago deep dish that I make at our house on, on weekend nights, oh, that's good pizza. Good. Uh, what do I mean, good? Well, on the one hand, it's delicious, yes. But, you know what? It's also something that meets a high standard of expectation. Right? Right? That's part of what we mean when we say good. That when I see a Chicago deep dish pizza, I've got a pretty high standard of expectation of what's coming there. That's what we mean by good. I'm in a golf league on Monday nights and I have a golf partner who's a pretty good golfer. Okay, maybe he's not PGA Tour quality, but for those, the rest of us who are there on Monday, he's good. Meaning, you know what? Okay, that my game is not maybe the high standard, but his is a higher standard than mine. A higher standard. So it meets that higher standard of expectation that we might have. Good. A good golfer. Or, I drive a good car. At least I think so. Now, My car that I drive is 17 years old. It has 221,000 miles on it. It's not a new car. But here's what I mean when I say I drive a good car. All the years that I've had this car, it starts up every time, right? It runs reliably for all those years. It hasn't ever had any kind of a major breakdown or needed some kind of a, a major repair in any way. That's a good car. What I mean is, you know what? It has absolutely met a high standard of expectation. So when we use this word good in all those contexts, right? I mean, pizza golf games cars whatever what we're talking about I think all sort of comes together in this idea in our heads of we've got a standard of expectation and when that standard is high and whatever we talk about meets that high standard that's when we start to think about things as good and goodness However that applies through, right? We're not far off in our world of thinking about good and goodness as those people in the Bible 2,000 years ago thought about good and goodness. It's the same concept for us in our time as it was as a concept for them in their time. So we don't have a whole lot of division to work with here in trying to identify in the Bible what it means for something to be good and to have goodness and to pull that forward because we still use those same kinds of thoughts and ideas in our world today. So how do we pull that forward then? What does that look like from the passage that we read here in Titus? and bringing that into our world today. How do we take this biblical principle of goodness and apply it from that historical context, that culture, into our historical context, into our culture? You see, I think what Titus is being instructed here, what Paul is after here with Titus, that he's, he's giving these examples of, you know, how things work in generations, how things work in your home and family structures, how things work in your business and work and economic structures, and he's calling out high standards of expectation, right? Do you see that buried in those words there, in those instructions that are given to all these various areas in society? That again and again, I mean, Paul's giving specific instructions, but they all go in the category of, let me put before you a high standard of expectation because that's where we find goodness and what is good. By holding that higher standard of expectation. So how does that show up in people? I mean, I talked about pizza and golf games and cars, but what we're talking about here in the Bible is people. How does that higher standard of expectation show up in people and in relationships and in how we conduct ourselves as people of faith? What does that goodness look like? I mean, how do we describe that higher standard? Because I think it has more to do with just productivity or talent, right? I can say, well, I mean, someone is a good worker in the sense that they get a lot of work done. They produce a lot. But I think when we talk about goodness, we mean something more than that. More than what you can produce or make. Right? We're after something a little bit different. Let's give it a word. I think the word that we're after there that would be the most helpful is integrity. Goodness shows up in people as integrity. So it's not that I have to be the best or never make mistakes. It's not that I have to be the all-star or the celebrity, but to be a person of integrity in those relationships. That's where goodness shows up. Integrity is that higher standard of expectation that I think we see Paul talking about in all of these various relationships of that world and in that time and in that culture. How can you be a person of integrity within that structure, within that world? And he's calling that out. So that's what we're pulling out of this and bringing forward into our time, into our world, into our context. How do we live as people of integrity? integrity in the world that we live in in our time what does goodness look like there as a spiritual fruit for us to bear so that we are people of integrity in our world and how that works not meaning that we have to be people of perfection but people of integrity Think about some of the ways this might show up then, right? Students. Students, it means that, okay, maybe it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect straight-A students in every class. But what does it mean to be a student of integrity? I try my best. I don't cheat. I don't take shortcuts. And I give my best work. That's integrity, right? That's goodness. Bearing the spiritual fruit of goodness. Or if you're an employee and you work a job, whether it's, you know, what you're the boss and there's people who look up to you, or, you know, what you're someone under and you report to someone up above, to do that with integrity means I work honestly, with fairness, respect for others, it doesn't mean that I have to be the superstar who puts out the most product or I have to land every sale or close every deal, right? But the work that I do, I do with integrity. That's goodness right there, right? That's where goodness shows up. Or in those other relationships of family. I mean, we, we saw in the example here from Titus what family looked like in his time of patriarchy. We live in a time where family takes different expressions, and, but the same principle applies to have a high standard of integrity in those relationships. So whether it's parent-child or spouse or grandparent-grandchild, or in the context that we live in, if it's, you know, you're single and you've got roommates that you're together with, however that takes place in our world of relationship together in the lives that we live to have integrity in those relationships, that we're trustworthy people, that we're honest, that the people that we say we are would be the people that we actually are, right? That we show up to be real and authentic in those relationships. That's integrity. And integrity gets us towards Goodness, and bearing that spiritual fruit of goodness. So it does take shape. It does show up. It does have an application in the lives that we live today to still be people of goodness, to have integrity in our lives as we move forward and what that looks like. Because being a person of integrity places you on the path of bearing the spiritual fruit of goodness. So what does this look like as a person of faith? Right? Now, how does this have to do with being a person of faith? Because, you know, I think there are people outside the church who strive to be people of integrity as well. Is, is there something unique about the kind of goodness that we're talking about here in being people of faith with our integrity? Well, it It bears certain results. In fact, in this passage today, the Apostle Paul points to some of those results. He calls it out. Now, I'll give you a hint that in in our English language, it's been translated as as the phrase, so that. So when you read through these verses, and any time that you find in these verses a phrase that begins with, so that, Paul is calling out a result. And here's what happens because of it. So he's giving instructions for goodness, right? We followed that part. Instructions for goodness as it applies in that time, in that culture, in that place. But we pulled that forward, right? This is really about striving and encouraging us to be people of integrity so that, so that what? You know, there's a few places it shows up in this passage. The first one you see comes in verse 5. So that no one will malign the Word of God, right? That when we live as people of integrity who bear the spiritual fruit of goodness, people see the truth of God's Word, right? When we, God's people, who identify ourselves as Christian, live in ways that have integrity to that and bear that spiritual fruit of goodness, We validate the truth of God's Word when we live that way so that no one will malign the Word of God. That no one will say, yeah, those Christians, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They don't really mean that because look at the way they live. No integrity. We validate the truth of God's Word when we bear that spiritual fruit of goodness with integrity. The next example comes in verse 8. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Right? How can we be people who live with such integrity that even those who maybe disagree with us, those who themselves may not be people of faith and say, you know what, I just don't know if I understand everything that you say about this God or the Bible. I don't understand that. But by your integrity alone, I can't say anything bad about it. I can't say that there's anything wrong in who you are and in how you live and in what you do because of the integrity, the high standard of expectation by which we live that people will see that and have nothing bad to say about it, right? Let's take it all the way back to where I sort of founded this entire series, right? On on the fruit of the Spirit as it's listed in Galatians 5. And Paul lists those things. and, And his concluding comment there in Galatians 5 is, Against these things there is no law. Right? People see you do these things and you know what? And You're not following this mandatory list, but you're doing these things because God's Spirit is alive and thriving within you. And people see that. It shows up in who we are and in how we live. They notice. And then the third one in verse 10, the third result. So that... In every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Right? When we live as people of integrity, when we live as people where that goodness shows up as a spiritual fruit that we bear, other people see that and they say, whatever those Christian people have with that God that they follow, I want that too. That's attractive. Whatever it is that they're doing there, I want to be a part of that. However it is that they live the way that they live, there's goodness there that I want to have in my life too. That it becomes attractive in that way. These are the results that show up, right? These are sort of the, the benchmarks or the signposts. or You know what? If, if you want to have some way of measuring, so if I live as a person of integrity, what are the things I'm going to look for Is Feedback on that. I think Paul's given us that here, right? There's the feedback lines that we see. People aren't saying bad things about us. That's one of those measures of integrity that we see within that. That people validate the truth of God's Word because of who we are and how we live. That's one of those measures that people see the way that we live and say, man, that looks so good. I want in on that too. That's one of those measures of a result. One of those posts that are in the road along the way that let us know we're heading in the right direction and how that works for us in our lives. But maybe then, all right, we, we talk about all of this about integrity and being people of integrity and what this looks like and at some point, I mean, we we know the kind of world that we walked into this place from, right? A world that is so severely lacking in goodness. There's so much in our world that's not good, and that knocks us down and takes a piece out of us and Maybe part of us, even though we can talk about this as, yes, we can be those people, let's do that. You, you know, we leave this place and we go live the lives that we live and It's hard, right? It's hard to do that. Maybe even in a standard that I don't know how I can always do that the way that the Bible is telling me we should. How am I going to get that standard? How am I going to meet that all the time? I don't know how that works. But I think there's a reminder here in Titus as well for us to remember that the goodness that we show in those results, you know, they, they always point towards God. They point towards Jesus because it's only possible because of Jesus. Right? The goodness, the integrity, that spiritual fruit of goodness that we bear in our lives, we only bear that because Jesus makes that possible through us. You catch that in the last verses that we read in this section today? Starting at verse 11, 11, 13, and 14. That's where the Apostle Paul is calling it out and he's taking that, starting on that corner of where goodness is something that is evident in the divine structure. That Jesus is an example of integrity for us beyond what we can ever attain ourselves. But Jesus lives that perfect life of integrity for us, right? Isn't that what Paul's saying there in verses 11, 12, 13, and 14? That Jesus does what we could never do in our own integrity. That he does that for us. So that, look at those results again, every result of our own goodness then points to Jesus. Right? That whenever we bear that spiritual fruit of goodness in our lives, the result we look for is, you know what? Does it somehow point to Jesus? Does it point to God? In the lives that we live, the standard that we hold ourselves to, the expectations that we place for ourselves, that we would first and foremost lay those out as expectations that point to Jesus in some way, always pointing to Jesus because he is the one who has lived the perfect integrity that we never could. And any example of integrity that we hold in our lives is in response to his perfect integrity. His goodness to us is what becomes our goodness to others. It's all through Jesus that we do that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the example you give us in your word of goodness and how that shows up for us. Lord, we are sorry for the times when we have We've reduced goodness to just being a legalistic list of rules to follow. Help us to see once again that you call us to a standard of integrity that follows through in who we are. And Lord, give us comfort. Comfort knowing that we know we cannot live that perfectly, but you have done that perfectly for us. So may our lives of integrity be echoes of your life of integrity living through us. Help us to do that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.